You're listening to Don't IEP Alone with special education advocate Lisa Leitner. For more information about Lisa, the IEP toolkit, and more ways we can help you in your process, go to adayinourshoes.com. Now back to the show with your host, Lisa. I'm Lisa Leitner, and I'm back with part two of my interview with Kelly Coleman, although she's not with me here right now. But in editing the content, realized it should probably be split into two episodes. I also want to just remind everyone, if you listen to episode one and as you're listening to episode two, that she is in California and some of the things that she references are California specific. So I tried to point them out as we were talking, but if you have any questions, you can always visit my site, adayinourshoes.com. I do have a spreadsheet with all, it's, it's a giant spreadsheet of laws for all 50 states. So you can check the specifics in your state. So anyway, here's part two of my interview with Kelly Coleman and enjoy. Yeah. And I always say, and go with your gut. If something doesn't sound right and always double check those timelines and whatever facts you get from the school. Mm-hmm. Again, like you said, it's not this nefarious villain, but I, a lot of special ed in the schools, there's a huge disconnect between what is taught in college and what happens in real life with IEPs. Any teacher will tell you that. You know, they spend a, a course or two, very brief, even on IEP development. And it's nothing like what really happens in IEP meetings. And it just becomes this kind of game of whisper down the alley where you start student yes. teaching somewhere and then you start teaching somewhere and like either your mentor, teacher or your principal or whatever tells you like this arbitrary thing. Yep. And you think it's fact when meanwhile, it's just like kind of like what the school does. So this, they, they might say, well, and then in 10 days we do this or, and then in five days we, do, you know, whatever it is like, yeah. and it's not, you know, that's just what that school does. It's not IDEA. So make sure that you double check, you know, familiarize yourself with good websites, good books, and, you know, your parent training center at the very least, most of them have an 800 number hotline. There's not someone there sitting by the phone waiting to answer your IEP question, but usually it's a, you know, usually it's a voicemail based thing where you call in, you get a voicemail, you leave your message and they call you back when they have time. Um, yes. But, you know, there are, there again, they don't know what they don't know, but there are resources out there to, there, to help. There absolutely are. And in some states, your social service agency could possibly have advocates, IEP advocates, um, or lawyers that are available to you if your child is a client of that agency, not in all states, so don't get too excited yet, <laughs> but in some states that is a possibility. You know, it is a real thing that not everyone can write a check for an advocate or a lawyer, and right. that stinks because that gives rich people's kids the advantage, and none of us should be okay with that, but there absolutely are resources available, and you can figure this out for your child. You can involve your child to the maximum extent that they are able or interested in doing so. But it's a process. And for some people, it's fun. For some people, it is a mess every single time. Try not to get yourself worked up over unnecessary things. You touched on that earlier. Some people get so upset and dig in their heels and die on this hill over every little thing. And you're like, that's actually not 
academic. And so why are you insisting that needs to be in your child's IEP and losing sleep over this? Right. So learn what is actually available to you and be realistic about what is available and ask the questions to find out, partly so that you're not fighting battles that can't be won because you're wrong. Right. That, and then I always say the battles of I just, I just did a post on this and it, again, parents don't know what they don't know. I'm like, I put this information in front of yes. them and I'm like, no, read this, read this, you yeah. can read this. And they don't, but I did a post on the gotcha, right? Like the, the parents yes. catches yes. the school in a gotcha and they missed a deadline. They missed a timeline. They didn't do this. They didn't provide this report and they have to do that legally. That's illegal. And I say the gotchas, they're not this like slam dunk where you're going to like walk into a meeting with this gotcha and, and wave it over their head and they're going to go, oh, you caught us. Okay. What do you mm-hmm. want on your IEP? We'll do it. Like it yes. just doesn't work that way. And I even quoted a, an attorney friend about mm-hmm. this because I said, you know, because she and I are on the same page for a lot of this stuff. And she's, she's an ID, a parent IDEA attorney. And I, and she said, she said my whole career and she's my age, she said, I've had one smoking gun. Yes. One. There's there very rarely is this smoking gun that parents think that they're going to find to, again, use as leverage in that IEP meeting. And then also it changes the focus. If you're fighting over timelines and signatures and this and that, you've completely changed the focus. You're not even talking about what's going on in the IEP. Mm-hmm. Now you're talking about did they do what they're supposed to do in five days, 10 days, whatever. Mm-hmm. And yep. No yeah, and your yes, and your gotcha episode of your podcast is so worth people going back and listening to because it is that reminder, okay, if this lawyer has had one family <laughs> and also part of why what you're putting out there is so important for families to hear in the way that you present it is that you are so upfront in putting all of this out there in that yes, this is going to be hard. Yes, we can have a sense of humor about these things sometimes. And also parents, you need to be realistic about where you are and where your information fits in with this. And I think a lot of times parents are not realistic about this. Also, if you have something that you think is a gotcha, that might be something, and I can speak from my own experience, where I actually know that it is. However, Right. The team in the room, because of how the system in the red tape is set up, is 100 percent powerless to say yes to X, Y and Z that will address that because the system in our district is set up that if X, Y and Z is what is appropriate for this child's education, you must go to mediation in order to get that. The people in your room, in the IP room, do not have the authority to authorize that, period. And there is also no shame and a lot of empowerment in saying things like, which I say very often, if the team were to agree, and I say this in the meetings, if the IEP team were to agree to X, Y, and Z, does this team or anyone in this room right now have the authority to say yes to and authorize and put that in the IEP? If the answer is no, we do not have the authority to do this, you need to ask what are the specific steps to do this if that is in fact something agreed upon or that through mediation is appropriate for your child. 
what are the steps and who has the authority? If I try and fight these fights with my IEP team, it is 100% a waste of everyone's time. Yeah. And it's also, I just, again, I want to point out for the nationwide listeners that she's talking about California and she's talking about a very large school district. And there are certain things in the big city school districts like New York, like LA that can do things that other, the rest of the country cannot do. And the rest Mm -hmm. of the country, we'd say, well, then there was no, if, if there, if no decisions can be made, then an LEA wasn't present at the meeting and therefore it wasn't an IEP meeting. I've learned the hard way. And this is one of the things that I was digging my heels in about saying, no, you can't do that. Big cities are allowed to get away with things that other, other places can't. So mm-hmm. anyway, anyway, yeah. so all right. So tell us a little bit more about your book. Yes. So my book, here's the book. So everything no one tells you about parenting a disabled child, your guide to the essential system services and supports. Again, it's available at all the book places and it is I call this the alternative to go home, Google and cry so much. (laughs) So many of us have these horrible diagnosis or I think something's going on with your kids stories where basically we're told, here's the thing, go home, Google and cry. Mm -hmm. And we are starting with nothing. And all of us are learning this from absolute ignorance and no knowledge of even disability in general. And the intent with this book, it has the personal stories, it has the cute pictures of my kids, it has, you know, the letters with from the other parents who have been through this, like it has all of that. But for me, more than anything, it is the alternative to go home, Google and cry, because it's here is foundational information, whether it's how to find and talk to a medical specialist whether it is pursuing a diagnosis, finding therapies and figuring out what is right for your child, the super basics of IEP and what school looks like for your child, the financial planning, the future care plans, especially for kids like mine who will not be independent ever in their lifetime. What does that look like and what do we need to know in order to educate ourselves and make a plan that involves our child as much as they are able and interested in being involved and that grows with them, that allows me to not be by their side every single moment for the rest of their lives, but also allows me to begin this journey as a parent caregiver. And by begin, those of us who've been on this journey for a decade or more are still going to get so much out of this. I was literally taking notes, especially as I was writing the insurance chapter. And as I was writing the chapter, I completely changed how I deal with my insurance company. And I've got reimbursement so much faster. So I am still learning. You will always be learning. And so the book is a combination of, okay, cool. I'm not alone in this. This is serious and hard, but also I can have a sense of humor about this. And also, here are those bullet points so that when you sit down to watch those videos, you're like, I got this. I can do this. To make this doable, the paperwork and planning might never be fun or exciting, but it is figure outable. And if we can spend less time with all of the stuff and the paperwork and more time just loving our kids exactly as they are, that's kind of the point of parenting is enjoying and loving our kids and 
it might take vastly different forms than we ever expected. I didn't ever envision that would involve feeding tubes and epilepsy, but you know what? In our house, it does. It does. Um, <laughs> and when we can address, you know, our own ableism and our families and our societies and all of these stuff by saying, what is actually rotten about disability? The paperwork, paperwork is all rotten. And what is not so rotten? You know what? My kid's awesome. Yeah. Like it's not easy and it never will be easy, but he's great. And this, none of this is a tragedy to him. So by getting control of and knowledge of the nuts and bolts, boring stuff that we all have to do, then we can empower ourselves and it makes everything easier. Yeah. My son's going to be an adult this year. So we're, we've been doing that now for almost a year and getting those steps in place. And that's like a whole other, oh like, my God. it's bad. Like I know it's bad. And I, you know, I have older friends and, and with older kids and I knew what I was getting myself or knew what I had to get into, but until you're in it, it's like, whoa. Yeah it's, it's bleak. I don't know what else to say. Like, yeah, yeah, my kid's awesome, but his future, if I don't get involved and make it happen for him, the future is bleak. Yes. Um, you know, and I've gone to webinars or webinars or conferences back when in, in person conferences, still a thing. I don't know. Sometimes. You know, since Kevin is a toddler, I've been going to conferences and, you know, and I'd hear him talk about this. And I remember distinctly one professional saying, no one sits down with the adult plan of, my adult autistic child is going to spend his adult years in my basement playing video games. Like no one puts that down as a goal, but yet that's what's happening to about 85% of them, yep. you know? So mm -hmm. if you don't engage, if you don't step up and speak up and create it and make it happen for our kids, whether it's the IEP, whether it's insurance coverage for something and reimbursements and all that stuff, if you don't make it happen, your paperwork gets pushed off to the side. And yes. You know, and it doesn't happen. And, and I appreciate you being so honest. And the word bleak is something people need to hear. Your child and his future aren't <laughs> bleak. But the options are the if options the parents are. are not super involved. And I know some children becoming adults are able to be very involved. Some are not able to be involved at all because of their level of communication, um, the level of cognitive disability. There can be all kinds right. of factors. But if we don't take a handle of this, time is still going to keep ticking forward and the kids playing video games in the basement forever is even not the worst case scenario. I've heard much worse case scenarios than that. So how can we put things in place and gain this knowledge and the transition to adulthood is a massive place where we have to relearn and rethink everything because yeah. these supports and services that have been in place for the last two decades, they're going to disappear. Right. And what people don't understand is after, for many of us after 20, so Pennsylvania just changed and now you can get an IEP through 22. It's being fought mm -hmm. in the courts again, yep. but as of right now it's 22. But basically we've spent 20 years, two decades in one system of entitlements and what people don't understand, and it's such a big fundamental shift, is that as an adult, you're not entitled to anything. It's all qualification-based. It's all 
it just, it just all changes. It's not your entitled, you know, I'm entitled to an education and I'm entitled to faith and not at, not at 22. You're not like from then on, you're not entitled to anything. Yes. Um, and on a federal level, if there were laws that entitled, entitled individuals with disabilities to home and community-based supports and services would be very different. If you're looking for something to ask your elect officials about and their positions for the upcoming elections, ask them where they stand on home and community-based services for individuals as children and as adults. Yeah, That is such a major issue for people with disabilities. And I get that we're all overwhelmed, but it is state by state. And I hear over and over from other families that when your child hits adulthood and the age of that in your state for a person with disabilities can be different. It might be 18, it might be 22, who knows? It is so different and it can be such a mess. And people over and over say that the rug just gets pulled out and all of this stuff, these services and activities and spaces that your child has loved and relied upon might suddenly go away. They will. And it's, it's not might. It's they will. Because yeah. even in the best case scenario, and I live in a state like you do where there are, you know, some states have better systems in place just because we have more people and, and, yep. and necessity, you know, mm -hmm. is mother invention. And, and when you have a larger population, it drives that. Even if, like in Pennsylvania, if you, we have a 10 year wait list. Yes. So even if you qualify for these programs, which my child who has significant disabilities and significant cognitive functioning issues and significant seizures, mm -hmm. and he's tube fed. Yep. Qualifying is not something I'm scared of. It's what am I going to do for that five to 10 years while we're on the wait list? Yep. So it doesn't just start the next day. Like, no. and I, there was a, what show was it? I can't think of it. One of the shows, one of the talk shows did a special, it was like 2020 or Dateline or one of those. They did one on the, you know, the age of 21 and falling off that cliff. Mm -hmm. And after that last day of school, parents are just amazed because that first day the bus doesn't come. Yeah. And that's it. The bus doesn't come. Mm -hmm. And then the next day the bus doesn't come. Mm -hmm. And guess what happens the next day? The bus doesn't come. And you're left with, what am I going to do? Like, and again, if you don't step in and make that happen, and even if you mm -hmm. do make it happen, you have to have a contingency plan because most states have a wait list. I believe only mm -hmm. California and New York do not, but most do. And you're just going to be sitting around waiting to qualify for programs. Mm -hmm. And it's so important that you brought up when you are saying the wait list is 10 years long, you are not exaggerating. No, I'm not. One of my best friends is in Texas and they don't know if their daughter's number on the wait list will ever come up in her entire life. The reason for that is because many states have a number of here's how many people can be on this program. Mm -hmm. And once that number caps, the only way to get onto that list is if somebody dies or suddenly yep. becomes not disabled, which isn't really a thing. Right. Um, so you're literally waiting to see if yep. your number ever comes up. It can be a decade. It can be much more than that. Yeah. So if we can be thinking about 
how to get ourselves on the lists, how early we can get our children on these lists. And if your number does not come up the day they turn 18 or whatever the age is in your state, what happens when the bus doesn't come? By the way, we need that on a shirt. What happens when the bus doesn't yeah. come? Because um, it will stop coming. And that's what parents need to understand. Yeah. That bus is going to stop coming. Now, for me, that's become alarmingly close because my child's almost 18. So I'm yeah. at that four or five year mark where I'm like, that bus is going to stop coming soon. And especially since we're just coming off the Christmas holiday, depending on those of you with older kids, teens, how easy or how difficult was your Christmas holiday? If it was difficult, you need to fast forward in your brain that that's what that's going to look like every day when that bus stops coming. Because I yes. know that's what was in my mind because we had this long Christmas break and then yesterday we actually had flooding. So they didn't have school again oh yesterday. Gosh. And I was just like, it's just so present because he's older. Yes. You know what I mean? It's just so present that I think I, you know, when he's, you get that text that there's no school today. And I think, what am I going to do when he's 22 and this is what we're doing? Mm -hmm. You know? So. Absolutely. And, you know, our version of that, our district has a three week Christmas holiday break, which is a really long break. <laughs> it's really long. And um, I, I and for the most part, my children are lovely during breaks. Right. However, our younger son on his iPad that he uses for communication every day was saying, want school, want go school, want outside car, go school. And what happens when the answer is you can't ever go back. Right. Yeah. And how do we, and even, even for those fabulously wealthy people who are listening and saying, I'll just write a check. Um, <laughs> would, by, wouldn't that be nice? Let's all aim to be those people. But that's not even always an option because a lot of the agencies and organizations that provide these services are getting government funding from federal or state sources that stipulates that they can only take funding and take these clients who are right. on these government programs and right. who have a cap. Right. And, you know, there was an early intervention program that we would have loved to have stayed in beyond age three, but it cut off the day my child turned three because of how they are funded. Right. And I was like, can our insurance pay for this? Can we cobble together money to pay for this? And they're like, sorry, we get asked that question every day. And the answer is always no. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what, I mean, even if in our state, it is called a waiver once it's, your, your name, number, yeah. okay. Um, when your name and number comes up on, on the waiver and you're like, yeah, I got a waiver. Most parents don't have anywhere to spend it because right now there are yes. more waivers than there are programs available. And so that's why mm -hmm. I'm trying to tell parents, like, you're going to have to create a program. Like, mm -hmm. and the thought of that, I, I get it. It's overwhelming, but you're going to have to do it because people are getting these waivers and they're like, okay, great. Now, where do I go? Well, there is nowhere to go. There, there is. No, yeah. Good luck. <laughs> uh, there, there is nowhere to go. There's a limited number of facilities, organizations, community centers, et cetera, who will serve your child slash our children and who will take the government funding. So you might need to start your own program that takes that government funding, which people yeah. absolutely do, and is a lot of work, it but it might be necessary. Also, states like California, there are a number of other states that through their social service agencies, through ours are called regional centers, there's a program called Self-Determination. To learn more about things like that, there's a great organization in California called Disability Voices United, and it is 
run and operated primarily by individuals with disabilities. And it is a lot about self-determination. And that is basically a program that does not exist in all states. In California, it was parents and people with disabilities pushing for this to become a reality. And it is only a very recent reality in California. So if it's not in your state, perhaps push for it to be a thing. And that is a way of saying that I am able to use the funding available through the waiver to pay for services and supports that are deemed appropriate by our state program. So like I, I'm not buying my kid a snowboard with this because that's not right. appropriate, but I can access organizations and services that are not vendored with my state already provided that they fill out the paperwork and they get the fingerprinting and like there is a process and they have to do the things. It is very legitimate. It is very above board. But because of exactly what you said, there are so many people for whom services like they're on a wait list for the waiver and then they're on a wait list for the services, for the residential facilities is a big one for right. all of these things. And looking at is there a program in your state that allows you to choose the vendors as long as they're fully approved and all, all the red tape, of course. And that is as a taxpayer. Yes, of course, you should have to make it legit. But is that available in your state? And if not, again, a group like Disability Voices United, who really pushed for that to be a thing in this particular state, is that something you need and want to push for in your state? And how can you talk to other individuals who have already done this? Just like with IEPs, how can you talk to individuals who have already done this in order to make it a reality? The governments and the schools aren't necessarily going to give you the information that is the most accurate and the most usable for you and for your family and your child. So talk to other people, fact check when you need to, and build a plan that is sustainable for you and your child so that the bus keeps coming and then when it doesn't then there's a plan in place and yes it's hard but it's doable yep okay all right so listen let's end on a happy note talked about a lot of alarming stuff it's not alarming to me because i know it exists but to yes. some people, like oh i didn't know that or i hadn't thought of that um yep. you know hey the two main things that we tried to tell people today is that the information is out there. The support is out there. If you need it, you want to hold up your book again, show us. So, and it's out March, when? March 12th, March 12th, March 12th um, and available for pre-order now. Okay. And the links will be in the show notes. If you're listening, we will have the links and, and all of her information everywhere. Of course, you can always find my IEP support on a day in our shoes.com. The help is out there and you're not alone right? 15% of all kids have an IEP on average. So really 15% of the American student population has an identified learning disability of some kind. So, all right. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. And thank you for all that you contribute to our community. You have actually made a difference in my child's IEP. So oh, thank you. Um, that this, this is very meaningful. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you very much. 
Thank you for listening to Don't IEP Alone with special education advocate Lisa Leitner. We're so glad you've joined us and would love to connect with you outside of the show. For more information about Lisa, the IEP toolkit, and more ways we can help you in your process, go to adayinourshoes.com. From self-care tips to common IEP mistakes, there's even more to explore. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast and subscribe to never miss an episode. Until next time, don't IEP alone, and you don't have to.